this episode of Botany After Dark. My name is Rin. I am joined by the lovely Fiona over here. Uh, we are currently, currently, we, we will be discussing uh, absinthe and fun things of that nature. If you would like to introduce yourself to <laughs> the masses. <laughs> All right, so my name is Fiona Rarig. Um, I have a master's degree from the University of Kent at Canterbury and it's in ethnobotany. Uh, this talks about the relationship between people and plants. And for my master's thesis, I chose to focus on absinthe um, because there was a little bit of a kind of mysterious relationship there and I wanted to explore that further. Very cool. Very cool indeed. All right, so, so, uh, we've got some questions from people who would be in the audience if this was live. <laughs> <laughs> There's some questions that were gathered before uh, everything. So first, uh, someone wanted to know how absinthe generally tastes and if it tastes good. So taste is really subjective yeah. so to say that it tastes good like I think it tastes good um but not everybody will mm -hmm. uh, it said that a good a good absinthe should remind you of an alpine meadow on a spring day it should be light it should be refreshing it should be kind of cool and a little bit floral um a lot of people will say that absinthe reminds them of black jelly beans uh, that's not necessarily a good absinthe. That's not necessarily a well-balanced absinthe. No. Um, that isn't even necessarily one where they're using the proper distillation methods with the proper herbs, such as they are. And we can mm -hmm. cover that later. Um, if it tastes like black jelly beans, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh... Do you have a particular favorite absinthe? And if so, what would it be? Or several? So currently my favorite to drink, and I actually have it, <laughs> uh, it is wildcard absinthe. Oh, nice. Um, hope they hit me up. Uh, <laughs> I like this because I would call that, um, it's a chai drinker's absinthe. Okay. It's got little hints of cardamom and paired with the, the anise and the fennel, Mm -hmm. um it just has a really really nice warming taste to it so if that spring day in an alpine middle is a little bit chilly the cardamom just kind of comes in and like warms you up a little bit um i really really enjoy that that blend and even though the cardamom isn't necessarily something that's traditional to absinthe mm -hmm. uh, i really like how it works with it very cool all right um so you mentioned some uh, with the cardamom and fennel and things like that just now. Uh, what, what plants are generally added to the absinthe? Um, are they like including what would be used as the base used for anything else? Uh, would it depend on the region that it's from? or just the individual distilleries have particular preference? That's right. Yes. So all of your absinthe um, typically contains the, the holy trinity of absinthe, 
which is um, wormwood, it is green anise, and it is fennel. Mm -hmm. um, those three make up the basis of all of your absinthe. Um, added to that commonly, you'll see um, hyssop and lemon balm. Those are not just used to flavor the absinthe, but they're actually used in a second phase of the distillation process uh, in order to not just impart flavor, but also to give absinthe its green characteristic color. Mm -hmm. um, so those ones are really common. Uh, some people use star anise in their absinthe, but that's part of what can give that kind of black jelly bean flavor to it. Yeah. Um, and so if you use too much, it tends to overwhelm everything mm -hmm. else. Um, anethole is an aromatic compound that you typically find in fennel, and it's what you typically find in green anise. Um, and it's usually at a much lower percentage. So we're talking like 12% versus when you're looking at star anise, you're looking at anethole content of more like 88%. Like it's a lot stronger in star anise. And that's one of the reasons is they'll commonly use that as a flavoring agent for black jelly beans. Yeah. And I realized that um, I completely missed the like <laughs> majority of the intro thing, but like, I, I met Fiona when we were doing Masters, and I was one of the uh, the tester people for part of the experiment. <laughs> so I remember some of the the flavor profiles that you're describing for that, even though it's about a couple it. years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it can confirm. <laughs> There's, I think there was one in there that had more of an anise sort of flavor than than the other ones just because yeah but there's some that are really light and there's some that really aren't depending on what's in it and how it's made and it's a really cool process yeah definitely and that's one of the things that intrigued me yeah um also, I remember there being, I remember you mentioning something about there being a difference between how European and American absence seems to approach stuff. I don't know if that's an accurate <laughs> description or. I don't know that I would say that specifically. Um, but yeah, right. not necessarily between American and European. I have absence from like from both North America and from, from Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's much more about the distiller and what they're putting in and less about what country it's coming from. I think it cut out in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. We seem to be okay now. Uh, so to, to recap, <laughs> um, like the Czech Republic started to come out with this stuff that they were calling absinthe and I'm, I feel like that is a very loose term for what they were coming up with because it was not necessarily diverse in its flavor profile um, it was dyed green as opposed to colored through a, a second coloring process um, they were burning it because that seemed like a, a crazy fun ritual even though it was completely historically inaccurate um, <laughs> So there's not necessarily much of a difference 
based on country um, as to what herbs are going into it. It's much more based on the individual distiller and what they've decided to go with. Sounds good. All right. Uh, okay, so we've kind of gone over how certain plants impact the absence flavor. Mm -hmm. um, but are there any that impact how it like impact its effects or the properties, uh, whether or not it's more or less not pungent, but like strong, I guess, or any number of other designations. Uh, so most of the most of the quote unquote strength that you get from absinthe um, mm -hmm. is simply due to its alcohol content. Mm. Um, when you take absinthe, you're taking usually a base of like brandy or vodka. Uh, you soak your herbs in that for a bit, and then you put that into a distiller or a, a still. Excuse mm -hmm. me. Um, the traditional method is using a copper limbic still, um, and so you take that. And it takes all of your lovely aromatic compounds um, and it pulls them up with the alcohol, which then becomes more concentrated. Uh, so the stuff that actually is coming out the other end of that still is mm, like 70 to 80% alcohol, um, which then it goes into a coloring phase um, or not, I suppose, if you're doing a white absinthe. Yeah. Um, but characteristically, we know it to be green. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the strength is usually just due to how strong it is alcoholically. Um, traditionally, what you would do is you would use an absinthe glass, which has a little bulb at the bottom, which holds about an ounce of, of liquor. Mm -hmm. um, and then you would drizzle ice water onto it, which actually dilutes it significantly, um, anywhere from like a one to two ratio to like a one to five ratio. Um, which will affect how, how potent it is, but also will affect the flavor. Um, mm -hmm. Generally, you want a little bit more water because that's actually going to help release some of those aromatic compounds into it so that you can actually taste it better. That's one of the reasons that lighting it on fire is a terrible idea because all those very delicate aromatic compounds, you will burn the bejesus out of them. And <laughs> that's just a shame. So, uh, so you wouldn't recommend the um, sugar cube on a spoon situation then? <laughs> um, sugar cubes are actually a matter of personal preference. Um, ah, okay. Some people take their absinthe with sugar, some people don't. Hmm, okay. uh, generally, if you've got a bit of a sweet tooth, you might do that. Um, it, it's not really my thing. I don't, I don't yeah. care for sugaring my absinthe. I like to just kind of like taste yeah. it and enjoy it for, yeah. for the herbal liqueur that it is. Yeah. Um, herbal spirit technically it's not really a liqueur but <laughs> that's entirely different matter oh yeah yeah no i i remember in university there was there was a particular i don't know someone ended up with a bottle because it was someone's birthday or whatever and like oh yes we'll we'll do absinthe yes so they got a spoon and put a sugar cube on it like one of the slatted, slotted ones slotted mm -hmm. ones held it over the absinthe lit the sugar cube on fire and then dumped it in <laughs> like what uh -oh. are you doing <laughs> that just breaks my heart yeah so that that's not the traditional way to uh to enjoy your absinthe um 
that started in like the 80s with the Czech Republic. They were looking for something that was like very dramatic um, and fire is always dramatic and people love that. So that that became a thing. That should not be a thing. Um, That just kind of ruins all those those nice aromatic compounds that are the entire reason that you drink absinthe to begin with. It for the compounds is it like the oils or would it be okay yeah it's it's primarily the oils um the higher the alcohol content the easier it is to draw out um hydrophobic compounds compounds that are extracted by by alcohol and by oil as opposed to by water mm-hmm. totally makes sense uh are probably not admittedly because it's a distillation process but are there different preparation methods that would alter the flavor or other properties involved to get the absinthe or or no yeah so there's technically a couple different ways to make absinthe um you could make it mixing essential oils with alcohol which is not necessarily a really good idea. There's still going to be some compounds kind of left out because mm-hmm. there are some compounds that you're not going to find in the essential oils. Um, absinthin is a bitter compound that you usually find at like the end of the distillation process, um, which a tiny bit can can kind of flavor that um, that absinthe with just like a hint of bitterness. Uh, and you wouldn't find that in the essential oil. It's too heavy of a compound to come through that process. Um, but also depending on what kind of an absinthe you want, whether you want a blanche or a vert, um, a white or a green. Uh, if you if you want a white absinthe, you're not going to put it through a coloring phase. You're just going to go with what you've got. Mm-hmm. If you want a green absinthe, you basically put a giant tea bag with lemon balm and hyssop into your absinthe and let it sit for a little bit. Um, if you want a red absinthe, you would do the tea bag method, but with like a ton of hibiscus and just let that sit for a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah. And that also imparts a nice kind of fruity floral quality to it, uh, which will also affect the flavor. I'd forgotten that there was hibiscus in some of them. There was, there was one red absinthe that I had and everybody yeah. liked that the most. Um, yeah. I think like the next most popular was by Taboo. Um, and they are, theirs comes from a distillery. Uh, it's the Okanagan Spirits up in British Columbia. And so they actually get that fruity flavor to their absinthe by using their own vodka that is made from apples and pears, which are sourced locally. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, that base really makes a difference because that sweetness comes through Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, oh, and there's also, they add chlorophyll as opposed to necessarily going through a coloring phase because they actually filter their absinthe, which removes a bunch of the chlorophyll. So then they add a bit back in at the end process so they still get the flavor it's just i don't know why they filter it out but <laughs> yeah, and then add the chlorophyll back in that seems kind of yeah interesting i guess redundant wait would there be like a, 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 a purification process that it needs to go through to filter it or just because really. um, <laughs> well and I can understand if they wanted to like extra filter it just to make sure that if anything escaped the tea bag, they didn't have like little bits floating mm-hmm. in the bottom of somebody's bottle. Um, I think that just adds character. Oh, really? So, I mean, 
personal preference, I guess. All right. Cool. Uh, okay. So, going off that, have you made any absinthe yourself? Um, I have. I have actually made some as part of a research project. Okay. I was using um, a recipe, I believe it's by Edward Duplay. Um, it's like an old recipe from 1901, I think. Um, but it's one of the few recipes that I could find that actually did include star anise, um, mm -hmm. which was important for my, my research because there's the Japanese star anise and there is Chinese star anise. Um, and at the height of absence heyday, they hadn't necessarily distinguished between the two. Um, and one of them is very poisonous and the other one is not. So um, my further research has been to distinguish whether or not that would have been responsible for some of the, uh, the absentheism side effects that we would see. Would that, would that have something to do with like the... The, the psychoactive apparently properties and the brain fairy situation and all that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, let's see. There's, uh, I have done a lot of research. Oh, very nice. That. Um, but there's one article that actually caught my attention because it was talking about the effects of um, one of the primary compounds of uh, Japanese star anise. Mm -hmm. And it was talking that it uh, basically like all of the effects that you would normally see from, um, from absinthe, it mm -hmm. has, including um, being known to cause mild hallucinations, which uh, a lot of people were looking at uh, at wormwood and at its component thuyone. Um, but the thing is, Thuyun doesn't cause hallucinations. Like, it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, anisotin, which is the primary compound, uh, does actually cause hallucinations. Which is one of the reasons I was like, oh, well, maybe that's the responsible compound. Um, and so my, my foray into making my own absinthe was really just to try and see... Um, by distilling several different batches with differing amounts mm -hmm. of um, the Japanese star anise versus the Chinese star anise, um, whether or not I could actually find that compound in the distillation and if it carried over in that process. Um, and if so, was that enough to just kind of slowly poison a person um, and just find that out? Very cool. So. Very cool experimental research things yep. so fun <laughs> um all right so going off of that uh if the recipe that you're working on or we're, we're working with have been working with however the phrasing would be uh is from the very early 1900s when was absinthe developed? Or do we know? Is that yeah? Up yeah. Here? So um, the original recipe for absinthe um, was developed back in the mid seventeen hundreds. 
Cool. Um, so it, it took about took about 100 years for it to really hit its heyday. Um, and it actually kicked off because the wine industry was having issues. And so without as much wine, you find a different base for your absinthe. And suddenly the absinthe is a really cheap alternative that people can get drunk off of a lot easier than wine. There is that. That does tend to, to move the market when it comes to alcohols. Well, if you think about it, if this were a bottle of wine, you'd have probably about four servings. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, what, 32 ounces, I think? So if every ounce gives you a serving because you dilute that into a glass, then you have 32 servings of absinthe versus four of wine. Very true. more economical. It really is. And at least going off the wines that I've tried, uh, it, it tastes a lot better, too. <laughs> Generally, I agree. <laughs> There's been like maybe one or two that, all right, I'll, I can drink that, but mostly, mostly the, the, uh, <laughs> the absinthe and yeah. stuff is the better option there. All right. Uh, So how has the absinthe creation process changed over time? Because I know um, distillation's been a thing for a while, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, overall, it hasn't really changed. I mean, people have been trying to take shortcuts for, for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um even back in its heyday, you would have people who would use like essential oil of wormwood and essential oil of, you know, fennel and anise um, and use copper salts in order to dye it green and call that absinthe. And I mean, that's mm, <laughs> a stretch to call that absinthe, but you still have, you know, people today who, okay, they're not using copper sulfates to dye their stuff green, which is a lot healthier, um, but they're not necessarily doing the work and choosing their herbs with care in order mm-hmm. to make absinthe. Sometimes it's not even really herbs, it's just flavor extracts. Mm-hmm. Um, just seems like a cheater's method to me, honestly. But I've got high standards. <laughs> I mean, accurate though. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so, progressing from there. What's the weirdest thing that you've seen or heard people make or attempt to make alcohol out of? Whether it's absinthe specifically or just in general. Um, so for absinthe specifically, actually, um, this guy is a bit more of like a nouveau absinthe. Yeah. And, and they put stinging nettle and... Uh, like the tarragon isn't too bad, but the stinging nettle I thought was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> so that one kind of surprised me. And mint. Like it's one of the only absinths that I know that uses mint, um, which I thought was rather interesting yeah. uh, as a choice. But there's just a little bit more, as I said, nouveau. Mm-hmm. Um, for alcohol in general, um, I think it's in Peru, I want to say they will make alcohol out of um, monkey puzzle. Oh, wow. Which 
kudos for them to them for actually being able to pull that off that's not an easy tree to work with i know i've done it that'd be um, a process yeah <laughs> uh but yeah that that's a very interesting plant to try and make alcohol out of so yeah that one, that one kind of took the cake for me all that right really kind of stuck with me all right out of curiosity, what's the what's the company name for the one that you just held up? Because I remember really oh, liking George. something. Okay. Yeah, this Saint one is uh, is Saint George Absinthe Fair. Okay. Um. Oh God, what's the name of the company? I am blanking. Should say on the bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just Saint George Spirits. They're right. in Alameda, California. If you ever get the chance to go over to them, they are actually right across the the lot where Mythbusters would shoot their stuff. All right. Um, and they are more than happy to set up a tasting for you normally. I don't know what they're doing in COVID times, but when I had the opportunity to go there, they laid out like 10 different absinths <laughs> and were like, hey, try these. Uh, nice. I thought it was pretty awesome. My, my husband, however, got very sick shortly afterwards apparently he picked up a stomach bug somewhere along the line and now he cannot stand the smell of absinthe it makes him very ill hence why like i think it tastes good there are some people who don't fully understandable (laughs) yeah that was was a very exciting journey oh all right um are there any interesting absence related stories historical ethnobotanical whatnot that you'd like to share with the class um audience well, i mean my my own yeah. absence stories have <laughs> been kind of exciting um i didn't really have a much of a budget to kind of like explore absinthe with so i was kind of going on a shoestring yeah. Uh, so I actually did some of my research before I even started working on my master's because I knew what I wanted to do my thesis on. Like I, I had a plan. Um, it's like the trip up to um, Okanagan Spirits I did in a day. Um, that's like a six hour drive one way. So drove all the way up there, did my little interview, tried their absinthe, bought a bottle, brought it back, drove all the way back. It was a very long day um going to st george pretty much the same thing it was a 14 hour drive with me um my husband and uh one of our friends and we got down there just fine 14 hours later um tried a whole bunch of absinthe and then like on our way back up um, my husband was feeling very poorly and also our car started to die oh <laughs> no so we got stuck in like the middle of nowhere uh, and I mean, like nowhere with a dead alternator and my husband puking in the backseat. Um, all this in the name of absinthe. Uh, my trip up to Southwold to go to Adnam's distillery. Uh, I actually went with one of our classmates and we got lost on the way. <laughs> so we missed our tour time by like an hour. It was a oh, two hour no. long tour. Um, but because of that, actually, it ended up being even better. Uh, because the head distiller there was like oh you're too late for that tour so let's just like sit down and talk and drink a bit Uh, so he had us try a range of things both absent and otherwise or absent and otherwise Um, and both of us were feeling pretty tipsy by the time we got done there Um, and he was an absolute sweetheart and gave us his employee discount at the distillery where I got my absinthe Um, and again being a student on a shoestring budget I appreciated the heck out of that 
um, going to like when I actually did my my trip that we were supposed to do for our thesis, uh, I had a car accident and mm -hmm. that cut my trip short, uh, which actually might have been a blessing in disguise because trying to get people to go through nine different absinths um, and like rate them based on their taste and all that was really tricky and I was supposed to stop at like four more distilleries and pick mm -hmm. up I don't know half a dozen more absinths and I'm looking at that now and I'm like mm, that's <laughs> not gonna go well <laughs> I had trouble getting people to drink nine because by the time they got to like number five they're just like whoa <laughs> so yeah my own personal experiences of absinthe and like the the craziness that this journey has taken yeah. me on have been really amusing oh yeah um, Historically, one of the really interesting things about absinthe um, that they kind of leave out of a, a lot, honestly, um, is that uh, absinthe, and as I mentioned earlier, it became more popular than wine in like the 1860s. Um, but the reason for that was a little bug called phylloxera. Um, and that is something that you find in New World grapes Ooh. and that they did not know about. And so when they bought, brought New World grapes, back to the old world, which did not have phylloxera and had not developed any sort of immunity, um, they really, really wrecked everything. And so the grape industry and thus the wine industry was having a meltdown of epic proportion. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of using wine to make brandy and your brandy to make absinthe, they started using neutral grain spirits. So you're left over, you know, wheat, rye, what have you, um, distilled put your herbs in it, make your absinthe. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the big reasons that absinthe was taken off the market wasn't because it was like causing hallucinations or anything like that. It was actually propaganda from the wine industry who once they got back on their feet were like, well, nobody's buying our wine because absinthe is such a better value. I mean, mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier, you can have 32 servings per bottle or you can have four. Yeah. Um, so the wine industry really got behind it and France was having a real issue with alcoholism at the time, mm -hmm. uh, like as an entire country having this issue with alcoholism. Yeah. Um, it was not unheard of for people to give absinthe to their kids. Um, they actually had to lower the, the height requirement to be in the French army um, because birth defects from fetal oh, alcohol syndrome had reduced the average height of men so much that they actually had to bring that down a notch. Um, and so like, it's this whole cultural thing that we don't necessarily talk about when we talk about absinthe. A lot of people are, will focus on absinthism, they'll focus on hallucinations um, and not necessarily focus on like an entire region's challenges with alcoholism and mm -hmm. how absinthe was the one that got blamed for that Never mind the fact that wine is still alcohol, still mm -hmm. a problem with alcoholism. Oh, yeah. um, and it just kind of like got shoved under a bus, mm. um, which is interesting, um, but also just kind of sad because yeah. I think we, we really kind of missed out on that a little bit. Yeah. Because it. <laughs> my, I know my only experience with absinthe until like until I came along yeah until like <laughs> early 
mid twenties, really, uh, with like listening to you talk about your research and everything, was whatever's available in uh, general media, yeah. which not the best of representations, which seems to be um, a common thread in a lot of things when it comes to media representation, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so just to to jump off that real quick, um, was it developed in France? I, I can't remember for the initial. So it's uh, it's right on the edge of the border between France and Switzerland. Mm. Um, okay. The the Val de Travers area, uh, and it was a French doctor who crossed over to Switzerland. Um, found a woman there who was kind of making her own absinthe. She had a recipe. Um, he, if I understand, if I remember correctly, um, kind of put it through that distillation process and then mm -hmm. claimed the whole thing as his own. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so it was in that, in that area, mm -hmm. um, that it was the birthplace of absinthe and a guy getting credit for a woman's work. History. Uh, basically yeah. <laughs> all right so i is the final question uh is there anything else that you would like to share with the general populace about absinthe or anything else of interest um, <laughs> really please don't shoot your absinthe um, it is not meant to be taken as a shot. It'll mess you up because most of it's sitting at like 72%. So like 145, 150 yeah. proof. Um, don't do shots of absinthe, yeah. please. You're, you're missing the point and you're missing the beauty because all you will taste is the burn of alcohol in the back of your throat. And without the, the ice cold water to really kind of let the, the essential oils come out into the mix, you're yeah. really missing out if you do that. Like, I realize it's a really quick way to get drunk. Please don't do it. Uh, same with lighting it on fire. Please don't light your absinthe on fire. That's bad, yo. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see more of a variety of absinthe. I'm happy to see more people trying it. I'm happy. I would be much happier to see uh, much more media representation that was not like, hey, we're going to trip balls on this. Um, that would be great yeah but i mean uh, the, i am not in control of media representation so at the mm. moment we're just gonna have to deal with this it's what it is yeah <laughs> looking All at right. you moulin rouge uh, yeah yeah between moulin rouge and I, I think that it was it was either right after or right around when Eurotrip was released. Oh yeah. That oh. that's that's when the the flaming sugar cube situation happened. <laughs> yeah, that was another one that was really bad. And like I get it because if they were in the Czech Republic and you know doing what the Czechs are doing, which yeah. is not historically accurate, but still, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Huh. All right. Well, there's that. Um, would you like to tell people where they can find you on social media stuff or, or not? Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I am herb.nerd.girl. Um, but most of my stuff isn't absinthe related. Most of it is like crafty shit. I like to cook. I like to sew. I like to be crafty. Um, and all of that is on my Instagram stuff. And that's really the only, only thing that I really put out there. Most of the rest of my social media stuff is private. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Fiona, for joining us. Words. For joining <laughs> us today on this episode of Botany After Dark. It was fabulous and learned a lot so thank you for having me yeah it was a fun time <laughs> and it was good to to catch up with you because it's been a while <laughs> yeah so there we go uh without further ado we shall end the the podcast episode have a good day evening night whatever time it is everyone <laughs> talk to y'all later Rin out.